1: For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more.
2: Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, October 15th. This is the 39th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an amazing Italian cheese producer who works with some of the best restaurants in New York City and beyond. And I will introduce him in a moment. But first, as I do on every show, I will start with my PR tip and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to appreciate la dolce vita, the sweet life, as the Italians do. They keep it simple, a little manja, a little bevy. Not only do they eat and drink well, enjoying simply fresh local ingredients in a beautiful setting, but I love how they speak with passion. What's better than being greeted with a ciao bella or toasting buon appetito? The Italians are simply feel-good people, and we all deserve to feel good. So the next time you're a little stressed, take a siesta or have a glass of vino and remember the Italian way, la vita è bella, life is beautiful. That's my tip today. I'm excited about my guest. It is Bob Marcelli, the co-founder of Marcelli Formaggi, an organic artisan, farmstead cheese producer from Abruzzo, Italy, which supplies products for some of the best chefs and restaurants. A 1990 James Beard Foundation rising star chef, Bob previously studied with James Beard and worked under legendary American chef Larry Forgione at American Place. Fast forward to today, Bob is a quote-unquote recovering chef who, along with his son Andrew, formed Marcelli Formaggi to bring the products of their family in Italy to America. So welcome, Bob.
3: Thank you very much. Nice to be here.
2: Well, it's nice to have you here. And uh, I mentioned this on a previous show, How I Met You, but it was, um, so people who don't know, I was solo dining at Marta, and we were both sitting at the chef's counter, which I think is the best seat in the house. It's the best. And uh, struck up a conversation. I realized you you had a connection with the chef, and what do you know? You supplied his cheese. So there we go. Happily. Yes. Yes. So so let's start with your background and and when you became a chef and cooking, and then the transition you made um, as the recovering chef. <laughs>
3: Well, I, I think, you know, it's kind of funny when you you think about going back to uh, the beginning. And for me, it was a very practical realization um, that I wanted to cook. And that was my uh, my father's family are, are from this little village in, in Abruzzo. And my mother's family were um, sharecrop farmers in rural Virginia. My grandparents lived with us. And uh, my grandmother did most of the cooking, kind of being a typical Italian woman, she really would let my mother help clean up but not really cook. And it was one day, um, my, and I, I, I was thinking about that this morning, I, can, I picture the moment, and my grandmother had this great cast iron skillet, and she was making uh, meatballs, and it was kind of a Sunday tradition. And my brother and I would take turns distracting her and whoever would distract her would take a meatball Uh she knew it but it was okay and at that moment I, I was savoring how great this was I went you know if if I want to continue to eat like this for the rest of my life I better figure out kind of what's going on and so that was really my my cooking epiphany
2: that's a cool story now did you go to culinary school?
3: No, I didn't. Um, I had really always worked in uh, restaurants, even starting when I was about 10 years old, uh, in a fish shack uh, on the ocean where we grew up. And then I've uh, just always kind of gravitated towards uh, cooking. Uh, when I was married, I, you know, actually I worked at the Parker House in Boston for a while. Okay. And it turns out that my great- Grandfather was a chef there at the turn of the century. So it was a nice little bit of, uh, you know, history for me. Um, and I'd been in restaurants for probably, you know, 20 years, and uh, around 1981 I started to think, you know, what would I be doing if I'd gone to culinary school? And I went, well, I'm not sure. And I said, well, maybe what I should do is, Maybe study with somebody and see if that's the direction that I want to go in. So uh, we were living in Portland, Maine at the time. And um, I got a hold of a New York City uh, Yellow Pages. And I, I thought about, you know, who would you study with? And I it's like, well, James Beard is pr- really the most well-known person. I looked in the Yellow Pages. And I found his phone number, dialed the number. He answered the phone. Oh, my God, that's
2: amazing. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and, I, and he said, yes, this is Mr. Beard. And I went and I introduced myself and told him, you know, what I was kind of interested in. He said, well, Bob, I have some classes coming up and I think, you know, we should come down and we can talk. And so when I met him and explained what I wanted to do, he, he was really funny. And he, he, he said, Bob, well, why would you want to go to culinary school? And I said, well, you know, to learn techniques mm-hmm. and things like that. And he said, oh, Bob, he said, what really what you should do is find somebody really good to study under, and you get paid at the same time. So long story short, through Jim, I met uh, Larry Forgeone at a party that uh, Jim had given and it was towards the end of the night. And my wife, who was probably six months pregnant, yes, I, uh, I walked up to Larry. I said, "Hi, my name is Bob Marcelli, and I'd like to come and work with you." And he said, "Okay." And that's it. And that's it.
2: Well, I love that you call him <laughs> Jim. I love. I love the whole story. I mean, I have to. I, do you know they're doing a documentary? I, on I heard James about Herod? that. Yes. Well. My guests coming up are the two women who are doing it, and if they haven't talked to you, I'm going to connect you with them because they need to. Because I'm sure you have a lot of great, great content.
3: (laughs) I used to go down and visit him just about every uh, weekend from from Maine, and he was just uh, you know he was the most gracious person, and you would try to say you know thank you, thank you, Mm -hmm. you know you really you know for taking this time, and he just turned it back and he said no. Thank you. Wow,
2: incredible. Okay, so then you were working for Larry Jones. Yes. And then you went to, Vir- you opened your own restaurant. Yes, in okay. Virginia.
3: In Virginia. Virginia. And, again, that was where my mother's family was from, so I had, uh, you know, history there. Um, I grew up in the ocean in Massachusetts, and then in the summer we would go and spend about a month or so on the farm. And um, it was just such a, you know, Wonderful experience—the smell of, you know, the animals and the pigs and the hay—and it was, mm-hmm. you know, something I always remembered. And so I thought um, that would be a good place to open a restaurant because, you know, you've got the Chesapeake Bay and you've got an incredible, um, you know, culinary history in Virginia. So that's where, where we uh, we did it. And it was only a little, you know little, like maybe seventy seat uh, restaurant.
2: Yeah, but but to get the James Beard Foundation Rising Star Chef Award. I mean, that's a very prestigious award, as as we all know. And
3: I kind of joke about that. And uh, in that same year, I think there were maybe 11 or 12 people that won that in the country. It's a little bit different format. Um, And there was a guy named uh, Keller (laughs) and uh, Bayless and Hammersley and... And, I, and, okay. I, and then I, and I go, and I and I think they're all still cooking. Yeah, they are. <laughs> so it was good company.
2: Right. So, okay, so that's a good transition. They're all still <laughs> cooking, but you're not. You're no. doing cheese now. So yes. how did you make that transition?
3: We made, if you will, a family uh, pilgrimage to this little uh, village, uh, which is called Anvasa Degli Abruzzi. Okay population 350. Huh. We're related to half of the people in in the village oh, wow. because both my 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 grandfather and my grandmother were from there. I had no idea that that's what that my family were uh, cheesemakers here because we really didn't have uh, a lot of contact. And um the day that we went there there were 13 of us. So, we immediately increased the population of uh, the village exponentially. And I met my cousin, Nunzio. And um, he said, You know, we have an agriturismo, we have some sheep, and we make some cheese. And I went, Well, that's really interesting because, you know, that's I've been in food all, all of my life. And we tasted the cheese. And I looked at him and I said, Nunzio, you don't make cheese, you make. Cheese, I had never <laughs> ever had anything like it in my life, because um, it was just so it was so real, um, and again, my my background enabled me to really get mm-hmm. kind of what you know what I was tasting. My father, um, who passed away about a year or so after that, wanted to do something with the family there, and uh, nobody really knew what that meant you know, do something with the family. Right. Like you know, put a bench in the village or you know, <laughs> I don't know. And it hit me. It's like people would really appreciate this you know, real authentic uh product. And so uh when he passed away he left me a little bit of money and I said, well, I know what I need to do. So that,
2: Wow, so when was this? What year are we that at?
3: was uh Roughly. twenty um like 2006, 2007.
2: Okay. So then you, how, did, how did you go about bringing the cheese to the U.S. and, and getting clients? <laughs>
3: um, the aberteses are very slow and methodical, so it took a lot of time to convince my cousin that this would be a viable thing to do. And um, I started to bring samples home. You know, in the days before when you could, you know, really put stuff in your suitcase and it wasn't an, an issue, and then because of who you know, I, I knew, um, and actually Larry was one of the first people um, that tasted it, and he went, "This is amazing!" And we'd met Bert Wolf. Oh,
2: okay, I remember um, that name.
3: Yes, and uh, and and I had Burt taste it, and he said, "This is really, really good stuff." So I got some great encouragement, um, and then we just decided to. Let's just do it. So we we did and because I knew people it was easy mm-hmm. to get into you know, to see somebody like Mark Ladner um was a- amazingly accessible and immediately loved the product and Mark is you know, Mark's yeah. been and Mark Forjohn was really our first customer because Larry said to Mark, Mark, you have to taste this you.
2: Yeah, and they are all great chefs. Yes. So good yes. connections. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, we're going to take a little break here, come back to talk a little more about cheeses and with Bob. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network.
1: Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Washed rind cheeses are a fairly recent addition to the repertoires of artisanal cheesemakers in the United States. These cheeses tend to be stinkier than other types and are often high on the list of connoisseurs. Now, Whole Foods Market has come up with one of their own. The raw cow's milk cheese made by Sprout Creek Farm in Poughkeepsie, New York, is washed with six-point ale from Red Hook, Brooklyn. The beige sticky rind deepens in color as it ages. The satiny ivory cheese within is mellow with a sweetly tangy bite and a grassy aroma. The current version features six-point diesel, which is in limited supply, so stop by and pick up some before it's gone. And point-of-origin cheese is sold exclusively at Whole Foods Market in New York, northern New Jersey, and Connecticut. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com.
2: Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Bob Marcelli of Marcelli Formaggi. We are talking about cheese. So, Bob, I wanted to find out more about the region of Italy where your cheese is coming from. Like, What makes it, what makes it special and why the products coming from there are even better than we, we have elsewhere?
3: Abruzzo is known as the green heart of Europe. It has more um, national parks than any other region of Italy, of of Europe, not just Italy. Um, it's very pristine. It's very mountainous. Um, and historically, because it has been so inaccessible because of, of the mountains, uh, there is very little industry there. The bad news about that is that there was very little work, which is why my my grandfather left when he was 18. He said, I, we need to eat. Mm-hmm. The good news about that is that because there has been no real industry there, it's remained almost untouched. So um, it's just a pure, pure place. And um, the the population, I think there's seven people per square mile, so it's really not Mm -hmm. uh, greatly inhabited. There aren't really any big... Um, cities to speak of uh, I think the largest city was um l'Aquila, which was destroyed in the uh in the earthquake so when you have animals and you and you and you make products that are that come from the land, it's very clean and um you know most
2: yeah. oh no go ahead no oh, i was i saw on your website that you have this Sopra visana yes. sheep so Tell me, tell me about these sheep.
3: <laughs> well, what my my cousin um, wrote his thesis in the seventies about what what kind of a viable business could be rurally based, preserving tradition, and still have an impact on the local economy. And he came up with the idea of, of, of a farm because it encompasses you know the, the really the historical nature of the, uh, Abruzzo was a pastoral. Um, setting. So he uh, he started this farm in a, in a small way, and then over the course of time, it's it's grown. And so his they have a cooperative, and everybody in the cooperative, what they do is they specialize in rare breeds, uh, many of whom are almost extinct. This breed of sheep, visano At one time, there were three million uh, sheep of this breed in Abruzzo, and today there's only a couple hundred thousand. The unique thing about them is that they produce one fifth of the milk of a normal breed of sheep. So, if you took five glasses of sheep—I mean, of milk—excuse mm-hmm. me—from a normal sheep, you'd only get one from uh, this breed. And I and I say to chefs, it's really like working with a reduction, because the milk is so incredibly rich mm-hmm. yeah. that it still takes the same—you know—the normal amount of milk. To, to make uh, cheese, but it's so rich and concentrated, it's it's just it's mind-boggling. And that's really the thing that when chefs tasted it for the first time, they were amazed because you said, well, I have Pecorino, and you know it's New York. Everybody would yawn and go, oh, really, Italian Pecorino? Uh-huh. I've never had it before. They taste it, and you just watch their face kind of go, are you kidding me?
2: So it's these sheep. They're, it's they're the like breed, magical, magical
3: sheep. It's the breed, and and it's what what they eat. Eat. It's uh-huh. the old, you know, you are right. what you eat. Uh-huh. They in the in the grand Sasso where the sheep graze, they've identified over like 120 wild herbs and flowers. And so you take that breed of sheep and, and its metabolism and, and what it eats, and you combine those two things, and just the the flavor of the milk is. Really, really remarkable. So that's kind of the right. characteristic of uh, you know products from Abruzzo. Very clean, natural.
2: So, what are your what types of cheeses do you, do you have? There's more than one type of pecorino, right?
3: Yes. Interestingly, I think we have about six different kinds of pecorino. Okay. It all comes from the same milk, but they are completely different mm-hmm. just because of how they make it or um, how it's aged. How it's kept in the uh, in the caves. It's yeah. it's amazing.
2: I don't. I don't think this show we have enough time for. I uh, need like cheese 101 yes. plus. But um, okay. Tune so in next
3: week. Tune in <laughs> next
2: week. So what? But tell the other sh- cheeses you have. What what you have? Ricotta. Oh,
3: yes, the ricotta is a, is a byproduct of the the cheese making process. Okay. And when we think of ricotta, we think of the stuff in the tub in the del- mm-hmm. deli case. This is aged for about two months, um, and then it's cold smoked over juniper. So the the milk is really sweet, and there's that little slight hint of uh, of smoke. It's not overpowering uh, at all. He's got goats, so they do an aged goat cheese, which is really really remarkable. And then some of the other members in the uh, in the cooperative do cows. Nobody duplicates what the other one does. So one is. Um, uh, Caciocavallo uh, Rosa, which was the original breed that they made Parmesan from, so it's got this nice nutty kind of sweet flavor. And another one is uh, Caciocavallo Padalico, and the Padalico cow. I think there are only 20,000 of them in uh, in Italy, and it's just a mind-boggling cheese that's produced by one of the few uh, women cheesemakers in in Italy.
2: As you're speaking, I'm thinking I'm having cheese for dinner. That's it.
3: <laughs> I, I recommend that strongly. Yes, yes. I bet you do. I think that's a good call. I yes. bet you do.
2: And you also, you had some other products also. I mean, do you do you bring, there's an olive oil or are these parts of what you, what you do as well?
3: Yes. Um, one of the things that we wanted to do was, um, and this goes back to what my father's uh, wishes, was to really kind of try to have a little bit of an impact. So the members of his cooperative, um, they produce uh, honey, um, olive oil, jams, jellies, um, and, and pasta. The interesting thing about the honey is that the bees that pollinate the flowers that the sheep eat produce the honey. So it's a wonderful uh, synergy of, of products. So when you compare that honey
2: Mm-hmm.
3: With the cheese, it's just
2: they they it's pair. In,
3: it's incredible. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
2: And what what are the most popular products that chefs are are purchasing from you?
3: Well, we have a couple of different schools, and that is, I've got chefs that only use um, our cheese. I have chefs that only use our pasta, and I have a few that use the cheese and the honey. It may be one customer in Jersey that uses everything. So it's kind of funny.
2: So is it is it just personal preference or what the chef is, what works on their menu? I,
3: I think it's what, what works. Um, um, Del Posto and La Condoverde have used our honey in their pastry department since, you know, for six or seven years now. It's People say this is the best Italian honey they've ever had. It's uh, It's really good. And then some people swear by the pasta. Nobody's mm. had pasta like this before.
2: It all sounds so good. I'm getting very <laughs> hungry. <laughs> okay, now let me ask the question I had from last week. Uh, I had on Daniel Gross and Dana Marie McKernan of NYC Hospitality Consulting Group. And they asked, What are you doing that's different to attract New York City restaurants to order your products? Noting that there are other cheese farms in the area as well, of Abruzzo and and Umbria. Um, You sort of, we've been talking about this, but is there anything more to add of why, why, you know, what are you doing to attract the restaurants besides being fabulous you?
3: (laughs) Well, as a recovering chef... (laughs)
2: Yes.
3: (laughs) um, I'm not a salesperson. And uh, actually, we really... We tend to only sell to people that we like, and there are really a lot of people to uh, to like in New York City. I like that's, it. That's that's the good the good news. Um, but because I it's a personal connection, this is the cheese of my family, so I can I can talk about it. I think a lot more to the point than just if I was a salesperson.
2: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it's
3: authentic, and that's what people are looking for.
2: Yeah, certainly. No, you, And from that you're in the industry, you've been a chef, you have the connections. And I love that, you know, working with people you like. (laughs) I think that was one of my tips
3: one of these (laughs) weeks.
2: (laughs) Okay, great. So we're going to take one more break here, and we're going to come back. I'm going to do my speed round game, and we're going to talk some industry news. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Bob Marcelli of Marcelli Formaggi, and it is time for my speed round game. So, Bob, what, I, what this is, is I am just going to name two things, and you pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. Fabulous. Eat in or eat out? In. Wine, beer, or cocktail? beer tasting menu or a la carte tasting menu small plates or large plates small tipping or all-inclusive charge tipping communal table or chef's counter chef's counter soft or hard cheese soft working with larry forgione or working with mark forgione
3: I didn't work with Mark, <laughs> so that would be Larry. <laughs> well,
2: Ted, you're sort of working with Mark now.
3: Yes, okay. It's a different level. Uh, Larry. We'll give, we'll
2: give it to Larry. Larry. <laughs> Two more. Cheese plate or dessert?
3: Hmm. Duh. A cheese plate of dessert.
2: <laughs> very cool. Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Abruzzo? Abruzzo. Yeah. Give it to Abruzzo. Great. You you're excellent in this game. Very quick. Okay, so industry news this week. First article I wanted to bring up. Uh, it was in the New York Times, and it's uh, it's it's food news, and it's also food news around my neighborhood because I live by Columbus Circle, and it was talking about how in the depths of the Columbus Circle, uh, by the the subway, they're building a retail hub underground, and um, they have. It's, it's going to be a food court, sort of, and it's, it's being run by Susan Vine, who overhauled Grand Central Food Court. And um, I think it's it's cool. I mean, I've walked down this this tunnel basically between 58th and 57th many times. It's a great escape when it's very cold. And um, they're planning to put in lots of food purveyors, coffees, cupcakes, maybe some cheese. Um, I was wondering what, what your take, on this was and if like would you sell your cheese underground by a subway station
3: well cheese is aged in a cave Uh (laughs) aha
2: so i take that as a guess (laughs) i
3: I think it would be a good thing yes yes and it sounds like a fantastic idea i mean we've you know there's only so much space above ground and there's lots of people below ground in the subway system yeah
2: I think it's i think it's very cool I mean they were saying how the the retail this the the rent will be a little cheaper too right. for these vendors to go in so um i mean it's right where I live, so i wouldn't mind having that there and having to get be able to get a cup of coffee or whatever whatever they're selling um The plans are to open next sometime next year
3: mm. no i think it's a, it's a great idea,
2: yeah, well, cool. I was excited to see that. Uh, Another article in Eater National, why fine dining chefs are getting into the chain game. And this was talking about how, well, the fast fast casual restaurant industry has grown tremendously. Well, last year it grew 11% in 2013, and it's $173 billion sales is what they're saying it did last year. And it's noting these chefs like, well, there's Josh, Joshua Skeens from Saison, who's partnering with Adam Fleischman, who has Umami Burger, and they're doing a place called Fat Noodle. Um, it said Jose Andres was thinking of going casual. Uh, Chris Jackal just opened a place called Uma Tamakaria, which is a like fast casual sushi place. Hmm. Uh, what do you think about this?
3: Well, I think it's a perfect uh, extension of, of the kitchen. Um, chefs don't Eat fine dining every day, and when you know you're you're done at the end of the day, and you want to, you know, you want to have something uh, good to eat, and, and uh, you know, to have your choices be limited to fast food, I think is uh, is not great. And who better to figure out ways to do things quickly and well than than uh, you know fine dining chefs?
2: Yeah, I agree. And I can't help but think of Danny Meyer, who's run run away with this category. <laughs> I mean, you know, talk about someone who was just doing fine fine dining, or or you know, just di- regular dining of New York and elsewhere.
3: Um, and now he's
2: he's got the fast casual Shake Shack, which is just ex- has exploded.
3: And I, and I think the other part of that is that it's um, it's very difficult to make uh, you know money in, in fine. Dining. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you want to do expansion, the money has to come from someplace, and so I think the, the fast casual segment, um, you know, you can do great numbers, and uh, you can use that money to fund uh, more fine dining restaurants. And, and the and the point is, it's more work, which is really good for.
2: More, you mean more, more work for people? Yes. Right. No, yes. More work for them.
3: Well, yeah. Yes, it is, but yeah, that's, little, yeah, that's the more. nature of the, the beast.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, I think. I mean, it's. I think it's a trend that I don't think is going to um, end anytime soon. I think more and more high-profile chefs are going to keep going in that direction. So we'll stay tuned to see see what else comes exactly. about. Okay. The last article I wanted to bring up was how. Esquire magazine just named the best new restaurants in America. And this column was always written by, um, why the, am I blanking? Oh, John Mariani. Mariani. And Josh Ozerski just took it over. And it was, there wasn't a really big announcement that Josh is their new restaurant editor. I knew he was writing for Esquire, but John has done. Done this list forever, and or thirty years forever.
3: <laughs> That's a long time.
2: <laughs> and um, so it was an interesting list. They had a, a party last night at the Cecil in Harlem, and that is the restaurant he named the best new restaurant of the year. Um, I haven't been there yet. Have you? Have you been no, there? No, no. It's it's interesting. I've, I mean, it's gotten some other good press. Um, it's I'd like to go. It's actually next to this jazz club it sounds like a Mm -hmm. really fun night out you know you go have dinner listen to some jazz but um i will have to go check that out they also he also named uh paul key whose restaurant is in austin the chef of the year Mm -hmm. um he named take root in brooklyn on the list of best new restaurants and i just recently went there because my previous guest ben leventhal told me it was fantastic and you had to go so um, that was on the list and Mm -hmm. it is a fantastic restaurant Mm -hmm. it's tiny Um, I don't know did you see this list do you know Uh, any of these names Mm -hmm. well I think
3: what struck me is that traditionally these top you know 10 20 lists are usually very very high-profile places that usually um, are expensive and and not necessarily you know, user-friendly in, in the sense of you could go there a, a lot, and um, and so what? Consequently, I think what happens is that, that chefs that are doing really wonderful things at lower price points don't really get the recognition that um, you know four-star, three-star places mm-hmm. get. So it's kind of refreshing, I think, to flip the table a little bit and to give recognition to those you know other kinds of places. I think it's a, good, yeah. it's a good direction.
2: Yeah, I think it is nice. And I've noticed, I mean, Bon Appetit this year, with their list, they picked a lot of small, eclectic sort of places as well, not necessarily the most well-known or the most um, expensive. Right. So. I,
3: I fell into that category. Uh, our restaurant, what was it named? One of America's top six trend-setting seafood restaurants, which floored me
2: that's that's awesome (laughs) hey why not take it exactly but you were i think yeah i think in new york sometimes there's so many restaurants that you know you it's hard to to be noticed in a sense and i think if you're a different part of the country doing something amazing um you can you know if as long as someone like kate crater who's on my show too (laughs) comes out and finds you you get on the list right you know right It's just a matter of being found.
3: Yes, and we were very happy that we were.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's great. Okay, we're going to take one more break. We're going to come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience. Stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
1: All the music we've been hearing today is from Iggy Dean from her her EP, Heart and Lung. This is All in the Industry on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. My name's Edward Lee, and I'm the chef at 610 Magnolia in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
2: Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer, and this is now time for my solo dining experience of the week. Okay, so this week I went to Mimi Chang's Dumplings, and here's the rundown. The location, 2nd Avenue between 11th and 12th Street in the East Village. The concept, authentic and delicious Taiwanese dumplings, homemade recipes, handmade daily, always fresh. The chef and owners, the Chang sisters, Marianne and Hannah, and their mom, Mimi. Why did I go? Because I heard they were offering the most authentic and delicious dumplings. My experience? Well, I stopped in mid-afternoon for a snack, and I was greeted by Marianne, who was genuinely warm and friendly, and very helpful with my order. What did I get? Well, from her advice, I got six dumplings that she told me I could get two different types. So I had the Mighty Veggie and the Reinvented Classic, which came with pork. I also had their house drink, which was a half freshly made apple cider and half iced tea. My take, super fresh and flavorful, loved both dumplings, and the drink was a perfect combo. The scene, it's a small place, casual setting, Counter service with a communal table and stool seats and has a nice open storefront window. I would say it's perfect for anyone looking for a quick bite or tasty or taste or anyone looking for a quick bite. That's all I got there. Quick, tasty bite. There we go. Okay, interesting tidbit. Their mom's real name is Shirley. Her nickname is Mimi. Personal fun fact. I took an Instagram photo of the mighty veggie dumpling and my photo won. A contest they did. So I now have a free pass to Cycle. So thanks, Mimis. I look forward to spinning off my dumplings. The cost, $12 total. Would I go back? Absolutely. Their website is mimichangs.com. Okay, so it's now time for the final question. So, uh-huh, you have something prepared. So, Bob... No, next- I don't. Oh, no. Okay, okay. Well, you, you have about... 15 seconds to think. My next guest is Matthew Risnick. He is the executive chef of catering of Great Performances, which is an exclusive caterer in New York City um, that caters at most uh, um, some of New York City's most prestigious cultural institutions. So, Bob, what shall I ask Matthew?
3: Well, we know that today it's very easy to get really high quality ingredients because of people like me the real question is how do you get keep train really good culinary talent
2: so how does he do that he has a lot of staff (laughs) it's a big company you
3: have to have a lot of staff
2: (laughs) yeah well awesome i will ask him thank you my pleasure And thank you for coming out here today. I'm glad I met you.
3: (laughs) Me too. It was a great pizza.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it was. It was. Marta um, has chosen well working with you in all these great restaurants. I mean, your cheese, I'm I'm telling you, and having cheese for dinner. So thank you.
3: My pleasure. We're very fortunate to have uh, the customers that we do.
2: Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Okay, I've been talking to Bob Marcelli of Marcelli Formaggi. Their website is com. If you miss this live broadcast, you can always find us archived at heritageradionetwork.org. We're also on Stitcher, and we're on iTunes. Thanks always to my engineer, Jack, and to everyone out there listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you'll tune in again next week when I'm back with All in the Industry at 4 o'clock on Wednesday. Till then, have a great week. Bye. Jack.